So we see that Adonai wants B'nai Israel to know him and to pass that knowledge down to future generations. And this is a timeless truth. Adonai still wants us to know him and to pass our faith on to our children and grandchildren. Our faith is not something that's supposed to be private. It should, be, it should positively impact our generation and future generations. This reading can be divided into five sections. We have locusts, darkness, the slaying of the firstborn, the Pesach lamb, and then the redemption of the firstborn. Locusts are the eighth plague. Moses asks Pharaoh to humble himself and let Israel go. If not, there'll be swarms of locusts that will cover the land and houses, such as neither your fathers nor your grandfathers have seen since they were on earth. Pharaoh's servants have had enough of Moses and the plagues and begs Pharaoh to send the men away to serve their God. As a result, Pharaoh inquires of Moses and Aaron about who exactly is going. Moses says essentially that it's going to be everybody, plus uh, all the flocks and herds. And Pharaoh says, no. So the locusts come, and the land is decimated and dark from the density of the locusts. As before, Pharaoh temporarily repents and says, I have sinned before Adonai, your God, and you. So please, take away this plague. Moses asks Hashem to remove the plague. But as soon as that happens, Pharaoh returns to his usual posture. Then Moses stretches forth his hand towards heaven, and darkness covers the land. This is the ninth plague. And this darkness lasted for three days. And it's a darkness so thick that they couldn't see one another, and they didn't rise from their place during that time. So assumedly they ate or drank, but it's not really clear how. By contrast, B'nai Israel had light in their dwellings. Pharaoh again relents and graciously permits the adults and the children of Israel to go, but requests that the herds and the flocks remain behind. Moses says, no deal, because you have to make sacrifices and burnt offerings, and therefore not a single hoof may be left behind. Again, Pharaoh is unwilling to let them go, and he's getting very angry at this point. Go away, he says to Moses. Take heed never to see my face again. So Moses says, fine, may I never see your face again. And this leads us to the slaying of the firstborn. Machat uh, Bechorot in Hebrew. It's the 10th and final plague. Adonai informs Moses that after this plague, Pharaoh will let them go. In fact, he will thrust you out altogether from here. Furthermore, Adonai instructs that every Israelite man and woman must ask their neighbor for articles of gold or silver. Adonai explains that at midnight, he will go into the midst of Egypt and all the firstborn of Egypt will die, from the firstborn of Pharaoh sitting on his throne to the firstborn of the maidservant behind the mill, along with all the firstborn cattle. There will be a great cry throughout all the land of Egypt, the likes of which has never bef been before, nor will ever be again. Notice that as with the plague of locusts, exaggerated language is used, never before, never since, to emphasize the uniqueness and awfulness of the plagues. And Adonai, once again, also draws the contrast. But not so much as, dog will growl, not so much as a dog will growl against any of B'nai Israel, neither man nor beast, so that you may know that Adonai makes a distinction between the Egyptians and Israel. And this segues into, segues into chapter 12, where the concept of Pesach and the Passover lamb is introduced. First, there is a reordering of the calendar. B'nai Israel is to t make this month, the month when the miraculous deliverance from Egypt will take place, is now to mark the beginning of all the months of the year. Then the instructions for carrying out the Passover are explained. The lamb or goat must be male, one year old without blemish, one per household, or one between two small households. All Israel is to slaughter the animals at twilight and the blood put on the doorposts and the crossbeam. The Pesach meal is to be eaten in haste and the participants are to be dressed in readiness to go, to a, go at a moment's notice. Chapter 12 is very long, 51 verses. There's a lot here to read and in terms of details, so anyone who wants to read it definitely should read it. But uh, 
I'll just point out that in verse 14, it says, this day is to be a memorial for you. You are to keep it as a feast to Adonai throughout your generations. You are to keep it as an eternal ordinance. Notice the word eternal. Pesach is obviously uh, not an obsolete moed. It is always to be kept. After all the instructions are given, Torah says in verse 29, so it came about at midnight that Adonai struck down all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, from the firstborn of Pharaoh sitting on his throne to the firstborn of the captive who was in the dungeon and all the firstborn cattle. Then Pharaoh rose up in the night, he and all his servants and all the Egyptians, and there was a loud wailing in Egypt, for there was not a house where someone was not dead. So he called for Moses and Aaron that night and said, Rise up, go for my people, both you and Bnei Israel. Go, serve Adonai as you have said. Take your flocks and your herds and, as you have said and be gone, but bless me too. Bnei Israel leaves in haste, their bread still unrisen. God gave them favor with their Egyptian neighbor, neighbors who gave them gold, silver, and articles of clothing. Torah says, so they plundered the Egyptians. Both Israel and a mixed multitude, in other words, non-Israelites, left Egypt from Ramses and journeyed to Sukkoth. They lived in Egypt 430 years. The basic themes of chapter 13, verses 1 through 16, are one, the redemption of the firstborn, where God says, excuse me, that all the firstborn of men and animals are his. Number two, the establishing of the seven-day festival of eating matzah, which is connected to Passover. Another theme is given here, but also in the previous chapters, which is how to answer your child when he or she asks, what is this, or what does this ceremony mean? One reason why B'nai Israel is commanded to keep the ceremony so that there would be a forum for asking these questions so there can be a conversation about God. This is why the Moedim are so good and so important. Obviously, lots can be mined from Parashat Bo, but I'll just address one thing in particular. The question is asked, why did God need to have blood put on the door frames? Wouldn't he have known in which households the Hebrews lived? Secondly, why did the lamb or goat have to be unblemished? It was not to be used in a sacrifice, it was just a sign, so any lamb could be, should be good enough. The rabbis have many different ideas on this, but all seem to agree that it was a sign of faith, both historically and as ex indicated as in Exodus 8, chap chapter 8, verses 22 through 23, certain animals were considered sacred in Egypt, and lambs were one of them. When Pharaoh suggests that Israel could sacrifice their animals inside of Egypt instead of leaving it, Moses replies, that would not be right. For the offerings we intend to sacrifice to Adonai our God are an abomination to the Egyptians. If we sacrifice what is an abomination to the Egyptians, wouldn't they stone us? We must walk a three-day journey into the wilderness and sacrifice to Adonai our God, just as he tells us. Since B'nai Israel could be stoned for slaughtering lamb, the fact of them boldly displaying its blood on their doorposts signified faith that Adonai would pass over them and rescue them as he had promised. Furthermore, it is also demonstrated that all who were willing to obey Hashem even if they did not fully understand why the blood was necessary. However, there's another point that non-rabbinic commentators point out, which is that Passover, the Passover lamb gave, gave Israel a connection between the shedding of blood from an unblemished lamb and salvation, in this case, from slavery. The ritual of the lamb's blood was a preparation for understanding the atoning work of Yeshua.